Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. I have a silly, strange sense of humor, or so I'm told, mainly by my wife, who continually reminds me that I have a strange and silly sense of humor that not many people understand, that not many people get. They just kind of look at me with compassion and that silly grin of like, I know you think you're funny. But I found that some people actually do like my brand of humor. Some people find it enjoyable and it fills them with joy too. But I started to wonder where on earth did I get this silly, crazy, strange sense of humor? I started to think back to the shows that I watched as a kid. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of slapstick humor. That's where the beginnings of my sense of humor came into play. It was watching reruns of The Three Stooges, or of perhaps still my favorite, Jerry Lewis, and his goofy faces, and the ways in which he walked around, and the ways in which he tripped over things. It was physical comedy at its finest. Or, or perhaps it was watching multiple times Fletch, or Chevy Chase, or just in case, or Caddyshack. Right, with Bill Murray, oh my goodness. Things that would bring this uproarious laughter. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and all of the things that happened to that poor family during Christmas. This is where my humor derives from, I think. Right? Not just that, but like when I was in high school, it was all about Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Right? I loved me some Ace Ventura. I loved Dumb and Dumber. In fact, I could probably... I could probably still recite half of that movie to you because Dumb and Dumber is pure comedy. It's pure glorious goodness. I, I remember In Living Color with Jim Carrey and it's so wonderful, so funny, so good. I loved them all. And I think it's because it's, slapstick is just mindless humor. It doesn't require any thinking whatsoever. You just watch, you just consume, and you laugh. There is no work to be done in slapstick humor. But every so often, slapstick humor gets really, really poignant. There are moments within it from time to time that catch you off guard, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's really quite brilliant. And it's just the way in which the mindless nature of slapstick comedy works is that every so often you are left completely blindsided by the goodness of slapstick humor and the poignancy that comes. These powerful, truth-telling moments that knock you upside the head. Perhaps one of my favorite moments that, that hit me recently, I, I, several years ago, but was from Bruce Almighty. I don't know if you remember this scene. Don't worry, there's no audio because I just want to describe it to you. Now, Bruce has been given all of the powers of God, all of the powers of God, except one limitation. He cannot make someone love him. And so here in this scene, he is attempting with everything that he has to zap her with this power of love. Love me, love me, he screams, and he hopes, and he wants, and he desires. He tries so hard to get her 
to love him. And she just turns and walks away. Now, I don't know about you, but this moment summed up so much for me in my understanding of who God is. In fact, I don't know about you, but that has never happened to me before. I've never tried to make somebody love me and they just turn and walk away. It's never happened. I'm sure that's never happened to you either. But if it had, but if it had happened to me before, back in the day, I, I, I think that I would have been pretty angry. I would, have been, I would have been spurned by that love. I would have been so frustrated and angry that I would have taken it out on her picture in the yearbook, right? The devil horns and the mustache, and eventually I'd scratch out her eyes and I'd make flames come around her, right? Like all of these horrible things that I could do, or, or perhaps you would write something about her in the boy's bathroom in a stall, or you would begin to spread rumors about her throughout the course of the day and the weeks and the months, and now it just happens on Instagram and Snapchat, right? We'd spread all of these things, scratching out eyes, just doing everything you can because of how we were spurned by their love. And I think we apply, I think we apply our own abnormal bad behaviors to God. I think that we apply those same behaviors that we would do as the spurned lover to God. I think that oftentimes it has been communicated that God is just an angry jilted lover, that this is who this God is, that, that he's just so mad that he cannot make us love him, no matter how much he tries, love me, love me, that we don't respond or reciprocate, and therefore God is just this angry, jilted lover who is just creating all sorts of calamities and disasters in our life in the hopes that we would come back to him, that these evil things that are happening would work to win us back through fear. That if we were just scared enough of God, we would come crawling back into a relationship with him. But that's not really love, is it? That's not really a loving type of relationship, a loving space to be in. Because if we don't do these things, if we don't come crawling back to God through all of the pain, all of the turmoil, all of the calamity that he causes, what he's going to end up doing is just squashing us like a bug. He's going to take all of his anger, all of his vitriol, all of his power and just smash us, press us down until we relent, until we finally say, fine, God, I'll love you. God sounds in that respect, more like an abusive partner. That God will smack us or hurt us if we don't fall in line with his expectations. That's karma, not grace. That's the object of annoyance or difficulty, not love that we don't actually play an important role or an important place in God's sphere, that we're not in actual relationship with him 
but the abused one. This is what makes Advent so powerful. The season that we are in, this space of anticipation and of preparation for the coming Christ child, the coming Jesus, that's what makes this Advent season so powerful is that it pushes against that idea and that understanding of God that perhaps we have all come to know and understand and perhaps even believe and experience in our own lives. But it's this idea that God actually drew near to us. There's this painting from 1891 called The Nativity by Julius Garibaldi. From, he's actually from Detroit, Michigan. It's, it's quite a fantastic painting because there you see Jesus in the manger. And not only do you see Jesus in the manger, but you see an exhausted Mary postpartum. And you see a Joseph with a look on his face that says, what do I do now? an exhausted Mary, and a freaked-out Joseph. Vulnerable parents, a vulnerable couple sitting in front of a vulnerable baby, a vulnerable baby who is the child of God, the son of God, the incarnation of himself sitting there, making himself vulnerable. There's nothing more vulnerable in this world than a baby. There's nothing that requires or needs more attention and more care than a baby. And yet this is the exact physical form that God put on here in this earth, on this land, to make himself vulnerable. God put himself in their hands. God put himself in their hands. And by the same turn, God put himself in our hands. God drew near to us and showed us exactly what his true nature and character is. God drew near by submitting himself to us. God submitted himself to us to show us the love that he has for us. God gave himself fully and completely, vulnerably and totally to us. And if anything, if anything, it's God. It's not God, but us who have been the abusive partner. If anything, it's not God, but us who have been the abusive partner. You see, this Jesus, this baby, this child grew into a man and spent his entire life drawing near to people. The entirety of his life was drawing near to the outcasts, those that had been deemed unworthy by society. He drew near to them and not only showed them love, but he enveloped them in his arms. He drew them near to himself through love, through grace, through mercy. I still remember the story of the ten lepers. There were ten lepers that Jesus healed, and only one of them came back 
to say thank you. Only one of them came back to say, my Lord. The other nine spurned his advances of love, of attempting to draw near. The other nine just vanished from his life. They ghosted Jesus. Jesus spent a lifetime drawing near to us to show us his love. And if there's one thing, if there's one thing that I want, to, that I want you to walk away from today with, this idea, this thought, this new reality is that you are loved by God. You are loved by God. This is the nature and the reality of Advent. That Jesus came near to us. That he put on flesh and walked our life. He walked in our shoes day in and day out. That you are loved by God. No matter what you've been told in the past about this God. No matter what you have been told about how this God is angry at you or how this God wants to smite you or how this God is continuing to just put his thumb over your life and drill you down into the ground, you are loved by God. No matter what other Christians or family members have told you about who you are, about the way in which you live, about what your life looks like. You are loved by God. There is no truth more valid. There is no truth more important. There is no truth more encompassing of all of reality than you are loved by God. And God did everything possible to show us that love. And we instead have flipped it over to this angry, violent, vitriolic God that wants to do nothing but smite us and push us down into oblivion. You are loved by God. This is the entirety of Scripture. This is the story from beginning to end in Revelation. This is the story that we embody here, is that we are a people who are loved by God. No one has taught me this more. No one has taught me more about this reality than a priest who was also shunned and pushed down by people because of his own, what he would describe as his own conflicting sexuality. Henry Nouwen was perhaps one of the most important figures in my life in understanding. Now, I wish that I could say that I've met Henry. I, I wish I could say that, that, he, that, that, uh, that we had conversations and that we sat over coffee and we spent time together, but he passed before I ever got that chance. And so the times that we have spent are over the writings that he has left, that I sit down with him over coffee in a book and I read and respond to the words that he wrote. There was perhaps one book called Life of the Beloved where he said this to me. And I believe he says it to you too. All I want to say to you is, you are the beloved. And all I hope is that you can hear these words as spoken to you with all the tenderness and force that love can hold. 
My only desire is to make these words reverberate in every corner of your being. You are the beloved. You are the beloved. And I'm pretty sure it was him. I could be wrong. I want to attribute it to him because Uncle Henry has made such a profound impact on my life. I want to attribute to him, but somewhere I read back in the day that this word beloved is actually something far different than just a name that we are given. But it's actually more like, a, like an ache from the cry of God. That, that in fact, it's more of a word that looks like this. Be loved. Be loved. It is the heart of God crying out, love me, love me. I can't do anything to make that happen for you. I cannot force you or make this possible for you. But will you please just open yourself up to me and be loved? Will you be loved? It's an ache from the cry of God, from the heart of God, to open ourselves up to him. To open our lives and our souls and our spirits up to him. That he may transform us through his love. If there's anything that I want want you to hear today is that this is what Advent is all about. Is a God who stepped down into this world to say, I am not like the other gods that other people have worshipped throughout the course of time, throughout the course of history. I am not like those gods who just want you to follow them blindly. I am not one of those gods that wants you to just do everything that I tell you to do over and over and over again. I'm not a god that is here to make your life difficult or hard. I am a god that is here to pour out love in your life and on you and that together we might pursue one another in love in grace and charity this is the god of heaven <coughs> this is the god who has extended himself to us that we may have life and life to the fullest Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for this move and this step into life, that we may have life because of him. Father, we thank you so much for this act of love that was poured out for us, this child who made himself vulnerable on our behalf who shows us what true love is and can be. Father, this morning as we wrestle with these words, as we spend time thinking and pondering about you being a God who loves us, may we be changed. May our hearts be pricked and may our minds be softened to the love that you have for us. It is in your son's precious name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. 
If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.